0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence Medical Experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Runoff, and here with me today is Mark Basrotman, nurse practitioner with FACI Medical, and today we're answering your questions about gallstones. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from our listeners via social media. We can be found on Twitter under Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc for a chance to hear your questions on our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Mark, nurse practitioner with FACI Medical.
1: All right. So thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure uh, to be on this radio show. Um, A little information about me, uh, my name is Mark Bassaratman. I'm a doctor of nurse practitioner for internal medicine here in sunny Valencia, California, Mm -hmm. which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Um, here at FACI, which is one of the subdivisions of Providence, uh, we actually act as primary care providers uh, here. So we see a wide variety of patients. Uh, we have pediatricians that see up to age of 17, 18. Because I work internal medicine, I see usually patients 18 and up, so to speak. Uh, and I'm just very happy to be on this radio show.
0: Oh, we're so excited to have you 18 and up. So you don't do pediatrics is basically what you're saying.
1: Exactly. So we usually have pediatricians, um, you know, see the pediatric patients, which are the, you know, from born to, uh, 18 years old. Um, and then once they hit a certain threshold of 18, then we'll be able to see them and start doing what we call adult medicine.
0: Sounds good. Well, today's topic is gallstones, so I'm going to give you the easy no-brainer one. What's gallstones?
1: So, uh, first and foremost, I do want to indicate that gallstones are a really common problem that we as healthcare professionals do see on a regular basis. Um, According to the World Gastroenterology Organization, there's about 20 million people in the United States right now, which is, you know, about 15% of the population have or have had gallstones at one point in their lives. So it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your your question what are gallstones gallstones are essentially like hardened deposits of digestive fluids this type of fluid is called bile and it actually forms inside of your gallbladder Uh, bile itself is not a bad thing in our body we all have it and we all need it it's made by the liver but what happens is when our body collects too much cholesterol and there's too much cholesterol deposits it can actually form into a stone
0: So the bile we need, though, because it breaks things down, right?
1: Uh, The bile actually aids in digestion. So it's think of it as like the opposite of acid. So our body produces acid to help break down food. Uh, Bile is the opposite of acid, which we call alkalinic. So it actually kind of helps digest food and offsets the too much acidity when mm-hmm. we kind of okay. digest the food.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, you were talking about gallstones are in the gallbladder. What is the gallbladder, and do we need it? Because that's a question we got. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> a very common question that I get for uh, a lot of my uh, for a lot of my patients do ask. And you know, our gallstones are gallstones related to the gallbladder? And I say, you know, yes, the stones are actually formed in the gallbladder or some of the connecting tubes by the gallbladder, uh, particularly one of them is called the common bile duct. And the gallbladder is a small pouch. Uh, It's towards the right upper side of your stomach. So if you guys take your your right hand and put it on the top part of your abdomen, uh, that's, uh, it basically sits just under the liver. Uh, That's where the gallbladder is. And the function of it is to store and release bile to help digest the food. So bile is not actually made in the gallbladder. It's made in the liver, but it's stored in the gallbladder.
0: I think we all think it's made in the gallbladder.
1: Yes, exactly. A lot of my patients come up to me and they're saying, you know, Mark, I always thought that the... uh, that the bile was made in the gallbladder. I'm like, no, it's it's stored in the gallbladder, but it's actually made in the liver.
0: I'm pretty sure they're teaching us wrong. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I remember that class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so gallstones are in the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Not but are they formed in the gallbladder or do they come from somewhere else?
1: It really depends. Many studies are indicating that they're not really sure where exactly they formed Directly, uh, basically, they can form around the the bile ducts around the gallbladder, uh, or they can actually form inside the gallbladder okay. as well.
0: And what causes them to form? Just an excess, or
1: usually, you know, there there's multiple different types of gallstones. There's two major ones. I'll go to the the one that's not really as common first. The first ones we, we call a pigment gallstone and that's usually caused by too much uh, of a substance called bilirubin made by the liver and that's usually common and i see you know chronic uh you know patients that have liver problems or blood problems or things like that so not really the common cause bilirubin the
0: bilirubin yeah are you making
1: that up no i'm not making I feel that like up you're making that you know up. when i learned about that in school <laughs> years ago when i was doing residency we all used to uh you know we were like what is bilirubin but it sounds yeah
0: like a drink you'd order at a bar
1: absolutely <laughs> can i have a bilirubin <laughs> on the exactly, house? Yeah, right? 5 p.m <laughs> Uh, so actually the the second type which is the more common type is uh, you know it's cholesterol buildup Uh, Uh, so basically uh, when your body actually makes uh, too much cholesterol or there's too much uh, undissolved cholesterol uh, which is like a waxy substance from unhealthy foods like fried foods it actually causes the fluids to deposit and kind of almost harden in a sense and um, you know basically once those uh, waxy substances cause the uh, cholesterol to build up and make the fluid harden, it just kind of goes into the gallbladder itself. And then that's where we develop these hard stones.
0: So, would you say then that gallbladders are very much diet related? The gallbladder stones or gallstones? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's a plethora, there's a wide variety of certain risk factors that I think we oh, do talk need to about discuss. It. Yeah. So, so first and foremost, uh, being female is going to be one oh, of on, the. come on, man. Yeah. It's like,
0: we don't have enough to go through?
1: So, um, overall, you know, it's. It's just an unfortunate component. It's as, it's actually because of the estrogen levels, um, because obviously females have higher levels of these two hormones that everyone should know. One of them is called estrogen. The second one is called progesterone, basically estrogen levels uh, when they're higher it causes more undissolved cholesterol to build up. We're not really sure why this happens, so to speak. But when you have higher levels of undissolved cholesterol from estrogen levels, it could cause a higher chance and, um, you know, uh, possibility of, of developing these stones.
0: Now, do women tend to get gallbladders later in life then as estrogen changes?
1: It really depends. So what I've actually found in... My practice is that younger patients who are either pregnant or taking birth control seem to have a higher chance of developing uh, gallbladder stones uh, than someone who is, you know, obviously over 60, uh, because after uh, you reach a certain age, your estrogen levels actually start to plummet and go down. So your risks actually may actually go down. But that's just one of the risk factors. I do see males coming in with gallstones as well. Uh, Actually, aging as a general uh, tends to increase your risk of gallstones unless you're female. Uh, Ethnicities, um, you know, being Native American having any sort of background of Mexican-American and or Asian-American as well.
0: So I'm two for two here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah, Keep going. This is not working out well for Um,
1: me. (laughs) Another one is obviously uh, we check what we call your BMI, which is your your body mass mass (laughs) index. Uh, (laughs) So if it's over 25 uh, or particularly if it's over 30, which we unfortunately put in the obese range, Mm -hmm. that puts you uh, at a risk for gallbladder stones as well. Um, you know, a lot of these are out of your control, but there's good news that there's things in your control that you could kind of prevent them. One of them is if you're living a sedentary life, which means that you don't get a lot of exercise, that is a risk factor. So if you actually get a lot of cardiovascular exercises like treadmill, swimming, bike machine, that could kind of help prevent the, uh, you know, gallstones as well.
0: Phew, I got one there then You got
1: one there got one. <laughs> uh, Another thing I do have to educate a lot of patients on Is, you know, having a high fat diet Fast food, you know, here in California We have a fast food chain called In-N-Out Burger oh, A lot yeah. of patients uh, Animal style Animal style, yeah, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> it, I don't I don't want to be a hypocrite But yeah, as a healthcare provider Do I tell patients not to get them all the time But do I eat them? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'd say your secret's safe with me But you just said it <laughs> I
1: just <so>. said it <laughs> um, Anyways, uh, fried food is going to be another thing we do want to avoid Um, a low fiber diet so you know i do encourage my patients to get a lot of fiber you know because it could help you with multiple different things it could lower cholesterol levels can curb your appetite could also lower the incidence and rate of actually developing the gallstones themselves.
0: What are good sources of fiber, then, that you would recommend? Uh,
1: There's actually a, uh, I use it daily, it's what we call psyllium husk, and I work with a gastroenterologist, uh, which is a a GI, a stomach doctor, uh, you know, in my office, and Basically what it is, it's like a fiber supplement that you just kind of mix with water. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the -the over-the-counter version is called Metamucil. So you guys will be able to see that anywhere, like at Walgreens, CVS, uh, which we do have a lot of here in California, Uh, you know, Walmart, all these, Target tends to have them as well. Basically what I do or what I recommend is, you know, mixing it um, with an eight ounce glass of water in the morning and then just drinking it. Usually that's my first meal in the day. And it does help to kind of help curb my appetite, makes me feel full, and helps me get in that uh, fiber that I need.
0: Nice. Right. Okay. What else is um would help cause it is? I assume that there's other medical medical conditions. I feel like I've heard diabetes. Oh yeah, okay.
1: absolutely. There's a. I mean, there is a family history, so there's definitely a hereditary component involved, which we have we have no control over, unfortunately. Um, I think
0: I'm up to five now. Keep going. To <laughs> uh,
1: You know, there's there's two types of things that I look for. Um, you know, it's having a high cholesterol, which, you know, your, your doctor, your primary care physician will order something called a lipid panel, and that'll tell us your uh, cholesterol levels to see how you're doing. If you have a high cholesterol level, obviously, there's going to be a higher risk of developing undissolved <coughs> levels. And having a history of type 2 diabetes as mm-hmm. well could be uh, a risk factor as well.
0: Okay. So... Genetics.
1: Genetics is a big cause of it. And there's really nothing we could really do about that, unfortunately, with our family history. But we could make active lifestyle modifications and we could make, uh, you know, modifications to the types of foods we eat and the amount of exercise we can get. So hopefully that can try to offset, um, you know, some of the uh, incidence of gallstones, especially if your family does have it, you know. One thing I do want to point out, and especially, you know, there's a lot of fad diets out there, especially here in California. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, patients that do tend to lose weight too rapidly, that's becoming a major cause of gallstones. So although we like patients to be healthy and be in a healthy weight range and dieting, we don't want them to lose weight too Too fast. fast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay, so let's say I have gallstones, what do we do? How do you, well, how do you diagnose it first and then how do you treat it?
1: So I have good news regarding that for treatment, most stones, actually, if they're not causing symptoms, we don't do anything.
0: So I might not even know I have them?
1: Exactly, so you might actually have stones, uh, you know, anyone over the age of 40 is at an automatic higher risk of developing these stones, but if, uh, you know, you're not having any sort of symptoms, then we don't really recommend any sort of treatment.
0: I'd like to pretend I'm not over 40, but what are we at, six or seven now? I feel like I I need to go get screened or something. Okay. Uh,
1: You know, but it really depends. If if treatment is found necessary, then, you know, we have a couple options. Uh, You know, and let your doctor determine if treatment for gallstones will be indicated. Uh, First thing is that we would have to do a test. Uh, I like to order what we call a complete abdominal ultrasound. Ultrasound is actually a test uh, where we essentially put a camera over the uh, abdomen to see if there's any sort of stones. Um, You know, and if treatment's necessary, we have three options. Uh, The first one is a gallbladder removal, which we call a cholecystectomy, very common procedure we see here. The second one uh, is called an ERCP, which stands for an endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, which (laughs) essentially (laughs) means uh, they just take a tube with a light and a camera and take the stones from the gallbladder. And then the third one, which is not really as common, is we use medications long term to dissolve the stone.
0: Okay. How do you even know you have it, though?
1: So that's a great question. The first thing I always like to tell um, patients is how are your symptoms? Mm -hmm. Uh, I always tell my patients, you know your body better than we do. Uh, so if they start developing what we call right upper quadrant pain, remember how I mm-hmm. indicated that Above, yeah. if you touch with your palm, the right upper part of your stomach, that's where your gallbladder is located. If you start to develop these spasm-like pains of your uh, right upper quadrant, then uh, especially after eating like a your in and out Burger, after eating one of those high fat or, uh, you know, fried foods, and you start to develop these colicky spasm-like pains of your right upper quadrant, that could be one of our major causes, or uh, one of our major uh, symptoms,
0: so to speak. Okay, any others?
1: Oh yeah, Uh, you know, (laughs) nausea, indigestion, generalized fatigue. Uh, The symptoms tend to get worse after eating, so to speak. So especially after you ate food, and you notice that you're having these symptoms, that could be a sign of uh, gallstones.
0: And is it usually the higher fat foods that Generally it?
1: speaking, yeah. Okay. It's something that's harder to digest where your body would have to make more acid, then your body would have to make more bile to offset the acid. So you're just putting your gallbladder and liver to work, and then these stones are just causing a lot of pain and frustration for those organs.
0: So dumb question. Does food pass through the gallbladder?
1: So what the gallbladder makes, um, you know, obviously the liver makes the, the bile mm-hmm. and then it stores it in the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. The gallbladder removes the bile and places it into the upper part of your small intestine, which okay. we call your duodenum. But the food actually goes through the small intestine. Okay. Got yeah.
0: It. Okay. Well, this is fascinating. I don't think I've even gotten any questions from anybody else. I'm just asking on my <laughs> own. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to take your questions um, to talk more about gallstones.
1: Perfect.
2: He keeps leaving you for dead I don't know what you've been waiting for So you've got your love locked up instead But something better's waiting at your door You don't know
0: on Talk with the Doc and we are talking today about gallstones. Mark, let's talk about earlier you said one of the things you could do is remove the gallbladder. Tell me how safe that is. Do we not need the gallbladder? I mean, why are we able to remove it?
1: So that is a very common question I get from a lot of my patients. Uh, It's called a cholecystectomy. Um, So usually a general surgeon will be the one to do that. Um, How it works is Uh, I'll see a patient and they'll complain to me, hey, you know, Mark, I'm having these right upper quadrant pains after I eat fast food. We'll go ahead and do a quick ultrasound of the area, you know, uh, or a CT scan would be another test we could do, depending on uh, how severe the pain is and depending on the location of it. You know, and if it's confirmed, you know, the doctor who looks at the results is called the radiologist. You know, I look at the results. Then we kind of make a plan. Hey. You know, patient such and such, you do have, you know, some gallbladders, no, uh, gallbladder stones noted at this time. Uh, one of the options would be a removal of your gallbladder to kind of help uh, treat and manage this. So we refer them out to what we call a general surgeon, which we do here have uh, we do have here at Providence. Uh, and, you know, they'll go in for a consultation. It's a very quick outpatient procedure oh it is yeah okay they'll make a quick uh you know six inch incision in the stomach uh towards your right side obviously uh the area will be numbed, so you won't feel this <laughs> that's uh definitely super important um, the muscle and tissue are then pulled back it reveals the liver and the gallbladder then the general surgeon goes ahead and removes the gallbladder quickly the incision is then sewed uh, and then you're taken to a nice recovery area uh, open cholecystectomy takes about, I would say, one to two hours. Okay. Uh, it is outpatient, generally speaking, assuming there's no major complications, there's no major bleeding or anything like that, God forbid. <laughs> the surgeon and your doctor will always t- tell you about the risk associated with any procedure. Uh, and then I mostly see patients go back to work and like, two to three weeks max after the procedure wow yeah that's pretty easy yeah
0: has it gotten easier over time i assume
1: um definitely as it's becoming more routine uh we're seeing patients you know opting to elect to get the gallbladder removed because we we technically don't need the gallbladder uh it obviously stores the bile we don't need bile to help digest food we need bile you know it kind of helps to Offset some of that acidity, but I, there's a lot of patients who live without the gallbladder, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of major complications from that.
0: But I assume then the body continues to make the bile. It's just not stored.
1: Exactly. The liver will continue making the bile. It's just not going to be stored anywhere.
0: So what does that mean? Does it mean it's just pr- like spurred out over time? Or uh, do we produce essentially,
1: less? Essentially, um, you know, what I have found is that after the procedure, uh, a lot of the patients do start to develop some, uh, you know, diarrhea for, you know, uh, a little bit, a couple of weeks. But it tends to actually resolve over time. Sure. The body actually is very resilient and uh, it doesn't necessarily need the, uh, the bile to kind of help aid in the digestion. Uh, as a precautionary measure, I do like to refer them out to a nutritionist, mm-hmm. which is very standard here at Providence, where, you know, they'll talk and they'll kind of make a, you know, a game plan, like an adjustment, like what types of foods can you eat? What type of foods do you, uh, can you avoid? And as a rule of thumb, uh, whenever someone has their gallbladder removed, they should, for the most part, avoid any sort of, fried foods or fast foods they need to eat a healthier diet gotcha
0: so if i choose though not to remove the gallbladder and the stones pass or we break them down or the medication will i get them again
1: there's always unfortunately a possibility of uh redeveloping some of those stones because if there's the undissolved cholesterol and if your body is producing too much of that waxy substance uh just due to the sheer volume of the buildup of the fluids uh, they're always going to be at a future risk of developing more, um, you know, unless intensive dietary changes are implemented. That's something we can kind of do to reduce the risk. Uh, but uh, even dietary changes, studies are conflicting. But most of the studies are saying that if you have the stone and even if you change your diet, it won't actually get rid of the stone itself.
0: Oh, interesting. OK. Yeah. OK. So
1: it's obviously important to change the diet because mm-hmm. it'll prevent future ones from developing. But uh, it won't potentially get rid of the stones That you already have
0: Got it And you said sometimes they'll pass on their own Or uh, not, just, they just stay Not necessarily They kind of stay So oh. kidney stones But they're not bothering you Yeah Okay
1: Kidney stones could pass on their own If you know you drink a lot of fluids And they can actually be passed in through the urine But gallstones They tend to stay put. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Well, um, I'm a big fan of pink. And so I remember that she had gallbladder surgery and she actually said that she went in thinking she had the flu or something mm-hmm. else. And she ended up having to stay for surgery to remove it. Um, I know she bit missed like a big performance. I think she was supposed to perform for the president right. or something at the yeah, time.
1: I remember this. Yeah. How,
0: how common is it though, that people go in thinking it's one thing and find out it's the gallbladder.
1: So this was actually in the summer. I, I want to say it was June of, uh, you know, 2012. And I actually specifically remember this, uh, You know, so Pink was scheduled to perform. um, And then she started developing just these generalized stomach pains, like indigestion and cramps. And, you know, at the time, she believed that it was just a stomach flu. Uh, I believe then she went to the emergency room. You know, she told them their symptoms. Hey, you know, I was supposed to uh, perform for the president. And, um, you know, uh, I need to do some testing. So, you know, the the doctor did some testings. And they said, you know, Pink, uh, you have a... You have uh, gallstones at this time uh, and, you know, the symptoms presented as a stomach flu, you know, indigestion, the cramps, the pains and you know, uh, from what I remember, she had to stay in the hospital for a couple of nights and uh, she couldn't
0: perform anymore. I think she also missed like her daughter's birthday yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it, was, it yeah. was a rough
1: week for Pink. No kidding. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> That's a hard one. How do you call and say, sorry, Mr. President, I can't yeah. perform. <laughs> and
1: it, it, here's the thing about gallstones. Obviously, it's going to cause some sort of abdominal pain, but abdominal pain is such a non specific thing that mm-hmm. we see here at Providence. And uh, there's so many different things that can cause stomach pains. And I see patients who are young, who are old, who are middle age and you know and they're saying you know mark what's causing my stomach pain and there's so many things food poisoning uh stress anxiety heartburn diarrhea urinary tract infection so the list goes on about what could cause stomach pains but to actually know if it's gallstones they would have to come in with that right upper quadrant you know spasm like pain that tends to get worse after eating and then uh you know basically it'll be confirmed uh from an ultrasound and or ct scan blood tests usually is not really first line to test uh there's something we could do which we call lft which stands for liver function test okay. to check for inflammation of the liver but uh, again that's a non-specific test that won't tell me if you're having a gallstone
0: do you find people confuse it with an ulcer
1: Sometimes I see patients confusing it with ulcers and I see patients confusing it with kidney stones as well. That's Ah. that's very common and kidney stones, very different parts of the body. They're both stones and they're both painful Mm -hmm. and they both cause generalized abdominals and stomach pain. So uh, obviously very different. So it's nice that I can explain to the patients the difference.
0: Well, some of these questions are really interesting to me. One says, could gallstones be dissolved spontaneously after labor?
1: That's a very interesting question and you know what I have found is like I did previously state that you know if you're pregnant and you have higher levels of estrogen um, that could potentially increase your risk of gallstones. Uh, Basically if you're in labor and you you have a healthy baby uh, you know there's no clinical evidence indicating that your gallstones would spontaneously resolve uh, after the delivery now there could be less nausea there could be less vomiting less stomach pain indigestion because you just delivered uh, but there's no clear evidence indicating that the delivery will get rid of the gallstones themselves
0: you're talking about the symptoms and i'm thinking gosh am i pregnant or do i have gallstones gallstones. yeah (laughs) i know like like i said (laughs) abdominal
1: pain is just such a non-specific type of uh, thing
0: um, well, this question says, if drugs are used to dissolve gallstones, can they cause cholesterol to enter the bloodstream and raise my cholesterol? I've actually got this patient, uh, this
1: question from a patient before, and it's a it's a very interesting question. So, the drug that's usually prescribed is called Actigal, and it's actually a very acidic drug. Uh, it dissolves the stones, um, you know, with all of that acid. Uh, there's a possibility. That dissolving of the stones could potentially increase blood cholesterol levels but there's not enough studies that exactly quantified and see how much buildup uh, from the breakdown of these stones now obviously if these patients are taking the drug to dissolve the stones we would need to put them on a very low fat diet to present fir- to prevent further cholesterol buildup uh, so by changing their diets they could actually potentially be lowering their cholesterol levels but If your doctor honestly prescribes Actigal for you, uh, they will feel that the benefits in this case do outweigh the potential side effects. So if your doctor prescribes Actagol as a choice to dissolve the stone, I would say, you know, don't worry about anything else. Follow the low fat diet. uh, Watch what you eat. And uh, the doctor feels that the benefits outweigh the risks in this case.
0: So. The medication that you typically would take for like high cholesterol, does that, would that maybe resolve your gallstones? Not necessarily. Would, okay.
1: Usually medications to lower cholesterol are called statins, mm-hmm. and that'll try to uh, get rid of some of that waxy buildup in your arteries. Um, but it's it's not an acidic drug. Uh, Actigol is a very acidic drug that dissolves the stones themselves. So uh, the medications for cholesterol are not acidic.
0: Gotcha. Okay. This might seem like a weird question, but how big do gallstones get?
1: It really depends. Uh, you know. What's the biggest you've ever seen? It's not that I've seen it one really big one. It's that I've seen multiple, and that's what scares oh, that'd us. That'd be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I would tend to see like three or four that kind of build up, and it really depends. Uh, I've seen them as small as one to two millimeters. I've seen them as small as as big as six millimeters. It it really depends. But if there's a lot of gallstone buildup in there. Um, then that could be problematic because the key is is we want to make sure there's no obstruction because mm-hmm. if a lot of uh, these stones kind of become uh, obstructing of the tubes around it, then it could cause problems like infections and all these other problems.
0: Does that mean the bile then gets stuck and can't leave?
1: Exactly, yeah. I so know. the bile kind of just gets stuck. You say, hey, I can't, I can't release this into my small intestine. Uh, the area that kind of releases it is called the common bile duct, and that's where we tend to see most obstructions.
0: So, what happens and does the bile then kind of turn on the body? Does it.
1: No, it just kind of becomes super congested and then it could cause some inflammation and then, God forbid, it could actually become infected of the area because there's just so much fluid buildup and everything kind of gets backed up.
0: So, so, I know your appendix can rupture. Can your gallbladder rupture?
1: Uh, I've never seen it. Okay. There's always a possibility of, you know, organs, uh, you know, rupturing if there's too many fluids, or obviously uh, something is not going down the right tube, so to speak. So the key is, is that if we feel like the bile duct is obstructed altogether, uh, we should probably remove the gallbladder.
0: What percentage of your gallstone cases do you, do you actually remove the gallbladder?
1: It, I always give them the choice. Mm-hmm. So I always have patients coming in that are scared, and that's totally understandable. And our job as healthcare providers is to give them all the facts, Uh, you know be very uh, you know kind and cordial but obviously very blunt about you know these are your choices we want to alleviate their anxiety the best we can Uh, it's it really varies depending on their age depends on their activity level depends on uh, you know how aggressive they want to treat it and like I said if it's not causing that many symptoms we can try to try uh, conservative management you know changing their diet
0: What kind of patients would not be good candidates for having it removed?
1: I would say if you're over uh, an age where you don't want to have any sort of major treatment, like let's say you're over the age of 85. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, you know, the risks of an open cholecystectomy, uh, especially if they have a lot of uh, what we call comorbidities, which are a lot of diseases in addition to that, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could be risky. So we obviously would have a consultation. I love to have meetings with general surgeons. I love to talk to them and, you know, uh, we tend to have teleconferences, me and the surgeon and the actual patient and say, you know, uh, these are your risks associated with it. Uh, And at the end of the day, it's up to the patient. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if depending on how aggressive they want to be, if we feel like it's medically necessary for the gallbladder to come out, we'll let them know, hey, you know, we really feel like it's necessary. But at the end of the day, it's always up to the patient.
0: Is there any one tip or one thing, one takeaway you'd want our listeners to know about gallbladders? Absolutely. And gallstones?
1: They're very preventable, you know, and to a certain degree, there's a lot we can do to, you know, not even altogether get them. And if you do get them, it's not something we should be overly, overly concerned about. It's something that thank God we have treatment for. So stay active, follow a plant-based diet, drink plenty of fluids, stay in a healthy weight range. Follow up with your doctor and primary care physician on a regular basis. Watch your symptoms. You know, patients tend to know their bodies better than we know their bodies. Uh, And my last bit of advice is don't lose weight too quickly because rapid weight loss and all these crash dieting can upset the balance between the bile and the cholesterol that the body makes, uh, which actually could make more stones. The goal is to follow a nice healthy diet and if you're trying to lose weight, try to do about two to three pounds per week with the uh, your primary care doctor following you on a regular basis in a healthy, controlled manner.
0: I try for two pounds a week, and I'm telling you, it's really challenging. It's very challenging. So when challenging. people go faster than that, I'm just shocked. I yeah, don't know how that it's happens. It's very
1: challenging to lose weight in a healthy way. And obviously, we don't want patients crash dieting and then gaining the weight back in, you know, a couple of months. That's not our goal. We, we want yeah. patients to be healthy and happy.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was really interesting. Um, Thank you everyone for listening and sending in your questions. You can follow FACI Doctors on Twitter at FACI Medical and on Facebook at FACI Medical Group. We look forward to future topics with more experts from FACI and Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And to learn more about our mission programs and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. Thanks for listening.